This is Ozarks at Large. The podcast Manic Episodes, hosted by Dr. Wyatt Page Hermanson, an alum of the University of Arkansas, and Mary Lambert, a two-time Grammy nominee, covers a wide range of topics. Mental health and bipolar disorder, queer identities, body image, abortion, greed, the pressures of work, and much more. The second season of the podcast just began and is available through all major podcast distributors. Last night, the two conducted the first-ever live manifestation of the show inside the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the University of Arkansas campus, a presentation of the UA Center for Multicultural and Diversity Education. A few hours before that event, Dr. Hermanson and Mary Lambert came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I asked how the podcast, which covers intense topics, but in an incredibly approachable, warm manner, began. We had the idea of doing a podcast pretty early in our relationship, I think because we both just love talking to each other. We never get tired of talking to each other. We went on a, how long was that drive? We drove from Western Massachusetts to Seattle and back. Yes. During <laughs> during the winter, which is, is not, it's probably a little ill-advised. It like was born of a manic episode, but I think we just, <laughs> yeah. we, we like, you know, after settling, we're like, that still sounds fun. <laughs> let's let's, let's do, do it. it. Why not? And we just, I don't think we stopped talking the entire time. It's just like we never run out of things to talk about and connect about. And, um, mm. and so I think we just decided like, oh, when people are around us, they seem to be interested in what we're saying. Totally. And we also didn't feel like there was a, a, a podcast at exactly, you know, because everybody has a podcast now, it seems like. Um, and so, it, I mean, I, I might have had a podcast I didn't remember <laughs> creating, but we just didn't feel like there was something sort of at this intersection right. that we feel like we're speaking to, right? Totally. Yeah. And my sister, I remember my sister saying, y'all are so, like, uh, it's so interesting to just listen to you two talk to each other. Right. Because we, uh, we all lived in the same house at, at one time. And so, you know, my sister sort of witnessing us just talking, she was like, you guys have to do something. Yeah. (laughs) So not knowing what we were doing at all, we just plunged in. Did you think as you started Manic Episodes that it would cross so many, sometimes difficult to talk about uh, topics? I think we were ready for it. Yeah. And and this is where I think Mary's work is, is, has been so instrumental in getting us off the ground because she was no stranger to being vulnerable in this way since her own work deals with, you know, some really intensely vulnerable and personal and difficult subjects. Mm-hmm. So you you really sort of strengthened me to, you know, to to delve into those topics as well. Right. Totally. Yeah, it is a it's a really natural state for me to be in to just be totally flayed open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think I what I really enjoyed about our conversations even before the podcast was you know, I I feel like I come into it, I come into conversations with a really just like a deeply emotional, hypersensitive, and sometimes um, like a nebulous sort of perspective. <laughs> and the way that you see the world and analyze it and sort of and see it, and also your facility with language is so beautiful as well. Thank you. That <laughs> I think it's such a neat, like bouncing off each other too. And we both can. We both make fantastic fart jokes. I mean, yes. we're yeah. great at that too. Yeah. Although I realize, like, we don't really make that many fart jokes. It's mostly just actual farting. <laughs> That's true. Like, it's not a joke. I, it's yeah. <laughs> which I elect not to edit out of the podcast because it's real. <laughs> but you do talk about some very tough things that a lot of us would rather perhaps not talk about ourselves mm-hmm. without prompting. Mm-hmm. So is that part of the idea that if we can hear the conversations that. Y'all have. Yeah. Maybe that will generate some sort of conversation 
with your listeners? Definitely. Absolutely. And Mary, I think in, in your career, you've always had space to be open and honest, especially after you decided to like leave a major record label. You were like, this is me. I'm right. able to speak completely freely about all of my experiences, and nobody can tell me that like talking about my sexual assault isn't marketable. Right. And for me, it felt like... I sort of felt like all of the professors that I had known were, like, superhuman. You know how when you're younger and you think that your teachers must not have a life outside of school? They live there, you know? <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they, 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 fl- there, yeah. they flickered into being when they walked in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I sort of felt the same way. Like, professors were infallible. They were on this, you know, a whole different plane of existence. And I hadn't heard any academics that I knew open up about the you know, the incredible stresses of this of this profession and what it's I hadn't heard an, another academic with bipolar disorder talk about what that experience is like. Mm. Even in graduate school here at the U of A, I remember the psychiatrist uh, on at the health center saying, I don't think I've met another PhD student with bipolar disorder. And in some ways that was like, cool, I made it. But it was also like, oh, am I supposed to be here? Mm. So talking about it, I think I, I hope that and I've had other you know, professors from across the country reach out to me since we started the podcast saying, I didn't know there were any other faculty members in college with bipolar disorder who were open about it. This mm-hmm. is so neat to connect. Mm-hmm. So, Totally. Yeah, I think in my work, I have come from this perspective of seeing the power that vulnerability creates in other people. My, my like, divine message from God <laughs> is, like, is my, my antenna's out and I, I, want, I want to help heal. I want, I'm, I'm put on this earth to be a healer. And I think the best way that you can encourage connection in healing, well, I think the best way you can heal is through connection and through community. And I think the best fi- way that we find connection is through being vulnerable. That is like a quick, you know, straight line to empathy. And when we're able to empathize really earnestly with each other, find like deep connections and meaning and purpose, which I think is the source of a lot of people's suffering and pain is this feeling of not belonging. Mm-hmm. So if I can if I can start the conversation, if I can have this, you know, like here's my here's what, you know, psychosis felt like for me. Here's my, you know, Here's what being in a fat body feels like. Does does anybody else feel that way too? And then it's this immediate invitation just by being honest and vulnerable that people feel less alone and they feel like there's a there's a life a life jacket, you mm-hmm. know? It's so interesting because you use a couple words there that can make people not recoil, but oh, you said psychosis, mm-hmm. which <laughs> when I was growing up, you just didn't want to say that. Right, right, yeah. And then you said fat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and those are two words that ownership has now come. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly, too. Yeah. I mean, I would have, if you would have told me like 10 years ago that I would identify as fat, I'd be like, that is, I must really hate myself, <laughs> as, right. you know, in my 30s. But it's so freeing and liberating to be like, Oh, this is this is my body, and that's just okay. Like it's it doesn't have to be something that I'm constantly at war with, mm-hmm. or that I am, you know, spending my whole pursuit in life to. Or yeah, I'm pursuing my whole life to be smaller. Like what a sad time that is. What what a mm-hmm. how much time have I wasted like counting calories or something? Right. You know, in this in this 
pursuit to be what what I am not. And like, you know, doing the research that I have now, so I'm working on a, a book about this, but like, you know, 75% of our body size and weight is determined by genetics. And so like, it's really 25% of that sort of personal choice. And we have a lot of shame for just having a, a body that we're, we're born with. And we we say that thin people are genetically thin. Like why 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 don't we do why don't we offer that same care for fat people? But it's like you go into a store if you're a fat person, a shopping you know a clothing store, and it's not even that they don't they only carry certain you know kinds of clothes for you. It's that you don't even exist. Mm -hmm. Right. What does that feel like when you move through the world and don't exist? And I think as fat people, we sort of just accept it. And I think that there just needs to be more demanded socially, culturally. It was a real revelation for me just as as someone who is, you know, straight-sized and hasn't had to deal with navigating the world as a person in a fat body. It was a real revelation for me experiencing the world with Mary and, be, you know, it was like all of a sudden I started noticing the fat jokes and the flippancy with which people, you know, just act like fat people don't exist and like it's okay to say horrible awful things about them. It's like this, you know, one of these last bastions where it's just totally acceptable. You know, it, it's, it's, and I guess the implication is you could change and you're not changing. Totally. Or, um, you know, there's a, a happy, thin person inside of you and you just need to let them out. Totally. Well, and now it's under the guise of health. So, like, there is sort of this, like, you know, uh, we're, like, doing the podcast this right is now. Yeah. <laughs> No complaints you know here. Yeah, <laughs> episode sixty-eight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, th things being under the guise of health is this, like it offers permission to ridicule, <laughs> to say like we well, are choosing to be unhealthy. But what we do, like with fat people, is that we assign behavior to to characteristic. So we say that if you are fat, it means X, Y, Z. You believe this, you do this, and oh, you yeah. don't exercise, you know. And, like, at my thinnest, I was, like, chain smoking and drinking, like, a fifth of tequila. I am, like, I'm the biggest I've ever been. I, like, like weigh, like, I don't know. I don't know how much I weigh because I stopped weighing myself. But, like, I'm in, I'm in the biggest I've ever been. I, I, I can run a 15-minute mile right now. I never thought that I would have been able to run. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, oh, I can be strong and fat, but we don't get that. We don't get that. I just happened to watch a couple of episodes of Friends that mm. were from 1999. Oh, oh Lord. <laughs> I remember watching those when they were in first run. Same. You watch them now, and there are gender jokes and and body shape jokes mm -hmm. and, and sexual identity jokes. Mm-hmm. They... I think you would not see in a, quote, critically acclaimed prestige situation comedy totally. now. There yeah. seems to think goodness when there is something. I'm thinking about Dave Chappelle's latest mm -hmm. stand-up. Um, which, in which he does some anti-trans. I mean, yes. the whole thing is an yeah. anti-trans. Like, right. Just screed. screed. Right. Totally. Yes. Yes. And um, it, Mary watched it. I just couldn't stomach it. But um, Mary was like, it's it's not, you know, it, it's, it's a huge chunk of the set. Like, I mean, you know, anti-transphobic. Humor, quote unquote, takes up, you know, like this massive chunk of the set. And I'm thinking about other people in media like, you know, Joe Rogan, who has this gigantically popular podcast and, you know, the most popular podcast and regularly engages in transphobic humor, bringing on transphobic guests who have written, you know, junk science mm -hmm. about, you know, young trans people and among other things. And so there's still there. It, it feels like while we've come so far in some ways 
there are, I think, still this, there's this need to, like, actively push back against transphobia. And especially now that, you know, I identify, I'm, I'm non-binary, and so many of my students, as, you know, as a college professor, and I teach in a dual enrollment high school program, too, and several of my high school students also identify as non-binary. And I think it's so, it, it seems anyway, like it's so meaningful for them to have somebody, like an older person in their lives mm-hmm. who is gender non-conforming and, you know, is navigating this world as a non-binary person. Um, and for them to kind of see a different representation of it. Because I think other than like some online spaces, so much of the discourse is just so negative and hateful and transphobic and homophobic. And I think there's a need to just like, you know, like Sisyphus, just constantly pushing back <laughs> right. against right. it, you know? Well, and because I, I think what it's also framed as this like, oh, PC culture, you can't say anything, don't upset the liberals, whatever. But I think, <laughs> yes. but what it is, it's about compassion. It's just accepting that people are coming from different walks of life. And like, you don't want to do harm to them. It's right. to me is like just the basic... T- like the bar is on the floor, you know, to just like, oh, can you just, you know, not say things that like hurt my identity, right. <laughs> like like who I am intrinsically and can't change. It reminds me of what you said about it, that in Dave Chappelle's special, he talks about or sort of heralds as like kind of a hero of, of his set, um, a trans woman who um, was kind of okay with poking fun at herself and making these really cruel jokes at her own expense. Right. And I that that is not the answer. Like that's not liberation for trans people. You know, right. like being able to see your own body as a a mockery or something that people are grossed out by. Like that's totally. not that's not freedom. And right. That's a coping mechanism. That's exactly. what that's what we do under painful circumstances to you laugh survive. Along with the joke. Totally. How many fat jokes have I made as a fat person like growing up? It is it is a survival mechanism. Right. But like if we want to be good to each other, which I feel like is just the baseline of of humanity, <laughs> like we have to we have to do better. Right. You know, not because people are going to get mad at you, because it's the right kind thing to do. Yes, absolutely. One last question. Would you advise that for young early relationships, driving from Western Massachusetts <laughs> to Seattle and back is a good way to determine whether you're going to be compatible? In fact, I think in, in queer culture, it's the only way to determine your <laughs> compatibility. <laughs> so pack your suitcase and good luck. <laughs> And do it in winter. Yes. (laughs) Only in winter, yes. (laughs) Thank you both for your time. Thank Thank you so much. Mary Lambert and Dr. Wyatt Page Hermanson are hosts of the podcast Manic Episodes. It just began its second season. Last night, there was a first ever live in front of an audience appearance by the two at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the University of Arkansas campus, a presentation of the UA Center for Multicultural and Diversity Education. Our conversation was recorded at the Carver Center for Public Radio yesterday morning. Dr. Hermanson is an alum of the University of Arkansas. Mary Lambert has been nominated for two Grammy Awards, one for Song of the Year, another for Album of the Year. You can learn more at MaryLambertSings.com. You can find out more about the Manic Episodes podcast at the Manic Episodes Instagram feed or through any major podcast distributor.